Hi, my name is Steve Thomas, lead pastor of the First Baptist Church of Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged as together we open God's word and consider how it applies to our lives. Well, we're in this series and our whole emphasis this year is make him known. I want to make Jesus known and the series we're in right now is removing the barriers. We want to remove the physical barriers of our building but we also want to remove spiritual barriers between us and God and between people around us and God. We want to be able to connect people to Jesus Christ. Now, I know, as Phil said earlier, a lot of you are concerned about the coronavirus. And there's all these questions around how do we prevent the spread of the coronavirus? How do we not transmit it? How do we not come in contact with it? Should I travel? Should I uh, not go to public events? Should I not shake hands? Um, What should that look like? But let me ask you, if once you contract the virus, if you actually get the coronavirus, your whole world changes at that point. Because at that point, you don't need to prevent getting it. You need to deal with what you already have, right? Now you need to be concerned about care, about is there a cure? What are the things that are going to help me get through this and not die, right? So you, you start thinking differently once you actually have the virus versus I might get it. And you know what? The same thing is true spiritually. As we look at Mark chapter 7, verses 14 and following today, we're looking at the issue that I already have been infected by the sin virus. And what I need to be thinking about is how do I deal with this problem that's within me rather than worried about all the problems that are out there, right? Jesus is going to get into the issue that you already have a problem within you. It's just like a virus. It's a disease that you've got. It's time to worry about the cure for the interior rather than trying to keep the exterior out. Look with me at Matthew, I mean Mark chapter 7, verses 14 and following. And we're going to look at how he tells us to deal with and recognize the problem within. If you're new to the Bible, Mark is the second gospel story of Jesus Christ. It is the most concise, and it's uh, the second book of the New Testament. Read with me, Mark chapter 7. If you have your Bible, love for you to get it out. If you have it on your phone, love for us to have the practice of opening God's word personally and looking at it to see uh, what God says. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Jesus has just got done dealing with the Pharisees on the issue of washing. We talked about this last week. They they got all excited because Jesus' disciples were not washing properly when they came in from the market. When they they, uh, would eat, they would wash with what they called unwashed hands. And the Pharisees had created all these traditions 
to actually add on to God's original law, and they'd expanded them beyond the priests and to the people, that if you were a good person, if you were in good standing as one of God's people, you did all this ceremonial washing. But Jesus' disciples didn't do that. And they didn't worry about that, because Jesus is telling them that's not what's going to keep you pure. And he goes after the Pharisees, as we talked about last week, and he tells them, look, you guys are all worried about all these things. Matter of fact, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. He called them actors. He called them hypocrites. That you're talking a good game, but the reality is your life doesn't back it up. As a matter of fact, you create extra good things you can do to cover up all the really bad things that you do. You, you say that you're going to give all your goods uh, to, the, to me, to the house of the Lord, and you do that so you don't have to care for your parents. You don't have to honor your mother and father. These are all things that make you out as hypocrites. And so in verse 14, he says to them, he kind of makes a, a policy statement like a presidential candidate might. He gathers them around. He says, listen, I need for you to understand something. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. And you may wonder, well, what does that word defile mean? Defile. What, what is, we don't use that word a lot. You know, We don't generally go to someone and goes, hey, are you defiled? I think you might be defiled. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe you use it if you work in a lab. You know, something got defiled. We can't use it. It got corrupted. Uh, it might be if you're in IT, the, hey, that whole file got corrupted. That's kind of the, the idea of defilement. But biblically, in the Old Testament, when something was defiled, it had gotten dirty. It had contacted something that it shouldn't have. And when a person was defiled, really the idea that I think really transmits it into our day and age is this. You are guilty. You're guilty. To be defiled means that you are guilty of something that has brought you out of favor with God and has gone against one of his laws. He says to them, there's nothing outside a person that goes into him that can make him guilty. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him or what make him guilty. It's the things that come out of a person that make him guilty. It's kind of like this. We tend to be like, um, it's almost like we're on a plane and we send the, the security screeners out to continue to screen passengers when the terrorist is already on the plane. You get what I'm saying? That it's, we've already got sin in our lives. He's saying there's nothing that can come from the world into you that can cause you to be defiled. It's what comes out of you that defiles you, that makes you guilty. The great preacher John MacArthur says it this way. He says, don't fear the pollution that is outside of you. Fear the pollution that is inside of you. Now, we live in a very rough environment, don't we? We live in a place where the whole culture is really corrupt. And there's a sense of the evil that's out there that we're trying to, to keep at bay. And we're worried about all the evil around us and all the evil that's trying to impress things upon us. But Jesus says what you need to be worried about is what's already in here. What's already in your heart. 
This would have been mind-blowing to them because they had spent their whole lives trying to keep defilement away or trying to keep this evil away by keeping all of these laws, these laws about don't touch something that's unholy, don't touch a person who's unclean, keep all these, all these dietary restrictions and all these types of, of law that's from the Torah. But all these were just pictures of cleanliness, spiritual cleanliness. These were just pictures to show this, this is the spiritual truth. And this is who you're supposed to be as God's people. But they didn't, what happened is people kept the law, but they didn't deal with their heart. They didn't deal with their heart. Everything became very external. And their heart was the problem. So Jesus is telling them, it's time to deal with your heart. Mark 7, 17, he says this. And when he'd entered the house and left the people, as typically happened, the disciples would kind of get him by himself and go, okay, we got to get clarification on this because this doesn't make any sense to us. This is mind-blowing. What do we do? And when he entered the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach? And is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. This is kind of a, a graphic picture of the digestive system. So kind of take this where it goes, right? Have you ever changed a diaper? Are you with me? What comes out of a person is not what defiles them, but man, what, what goes into a person is not what defiles them, but Elizabeth, what comes out is pretty nasty, isn't it? Amen. She's got twins. She can tell you all about it if you need to know. So here's the thing, right? What'd you say? It's not good at all, she says. It's not good at all. And you can get plenty dirty from what comes out. Get the picture. It's not what goes in. Jesus gives them a little bit of an anatomy lesson, right? Now, so the stomach is not connected to the heart, guys. Right? That's a physical and a spiritual separation. He says, listen, what goes in doesn't defile you, but what comes out, on the other hand, is nasty. It starts to set their mind thinking, what does he mean by this? What does he mean by this? And then he gets really specific. And this is one of the reasons that we teach and preach through major sections of Scripture, because it causes us to look at things that we might not otherwise look at. So what we're about to look at is Jesus' description of the defilement, the evil that comes out of us, right, that causes us to be guilty. So some of the things we're about to talk about, you're going to find offensive, and you're going to think, I don't think that's right, but I want you to see this is coming from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And he's saying this for us to understand that what we need to worry about is what's inside, and he is the cure for what's inside. So before you get all offended, say, well, I don't believe that. I don't think that's right. I know people in this. Listen, this is Jesus Christ speaking, who came to earth to be the cure for evil, to make the guilty innocent. And I can tell you personally, this passage has been formative in my own life. This really changed the way I saw my own behavior 
Because there was a day when I would attribute my angry outburst to others. Well, if she hadn't said this, I wouldn't have said that. If this person hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have got angry about this. It's all their fault. It's all exterior. You see, what's happening is the exterior world is causing me to sin. Wait a minute, there's something wrong here, isn't there? Jesus is saying, you've got to own your reaction. And I would say it a different way, really, you get to own your reaction. Whatever situation you're in, Jesus Christ can put a new heart in you. And we'll see that as we go. Look at me, Mark chapter 7, 23, get ready to be offended. Um, and he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For from within, out of the heart of man or humanity, come evil thoughts. Anybody have any evil thoughts? Don't raise your hand, but I'm going to. Wouldn't it be fun if we just sat around and shared them? I think that's what the Internet's for. All of us have had an evil thought this week, probably, right? A terrible thought, and he's what he's saying is all this list that I'm about to give you is a result of what you think from your heart is where it comes from. Does it come from the outside? Does it come from some kind of a system that's trying to impress it upon you? It, it comes from your heart. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, get ready, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality. Seems like he knew all about 2020, amen? <laughs> sexual immorality. You say, what is that? What is that? Well, it comes from the word pornea. You can just guess what that means. It's where we get the word pornography. And it refers to all kinds of sexual sin. All sex that is outside of a marriage between one man and one woman is considered sexual sin, sexual immorality, pornea. So you can just go down the list of things in our culture today, many of which are acceptable in our culture or are looked at as appropriate or right. Jesus calls them result of an evil thought, a corrupt heart. So, well, Steve, does that can... Does that include, homo include homosexuality? Absolutely. People say, well, that's not, I don't think, I, the, some of the best people I know are homosexuals. I, I can tell you, I love the LGBTQ community. It's not that we hate sinners, it's that we have to identify what Jesus says. We want people to see the reality that when we say what Jesus died for is not sin, we're telling Jesus you were wrong. And we're cutting ourselves off from his grace, which says, I came to die for you, Steve, for your sin of anger. I came to die for your sin of pornography. I came to die for your sin of homosexuality. I came to die for your sin of having multiple affairs and multiple partners outside of marriage. That's what Jesus said. There's no way around that. But to be sure, be very careful about being self-righteous about that. Judgmental. It's really not your job to judge. It's your job to connect people to Jesus. That's what we're all about here. Because every one of you have already admitted you had an evil thought in the last month. 
last week. See, Jesus died for your evil thought as well. Just as much as he died for someone else's sexual sin. It's so important that we align ourselves with Jesus. Not with some culture, not with even somebody's idea, but this is what Jesus' word is. These are his words. Out of the heart of men come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft. So I have never stolen anything, really? Nothing? Never took something from somebody? Maybe something from your employer? Maybe something from your parents? Maybe someone from a sibling? Maybe something from a store? Maybe something small? He says theft is a result of evil thoughts. Murder? You say, I've never killed anybody. Have you thought about it? Honestly? Jesus said that anger, this rage that we have, is the same thing as murder. I'm so mad at you, I just would, oh, be careful. Be careful. Jesus died for that. Your anger would have put him on the cross. And when you say, no, my anger is not sin, then you're saying, Jesus, I didn't need you to die for me. I didn't need you to die for me. Please, why, why do you need me to do that? I'm, I'm good. No, all of us are going to be on this list. Just wait. Adultery, there he goes back to the sexual sin, which is the, the disruption or the corruption of the marriage relationship, breaking marital vows. Uh, it's sex really outside of marriage, often by a married person. Coveting. Ooh, I really want that. I really want that. God, if I just had that, I'd be happy. If I just had a little bit more, I'd be so happy. If I just had a little bit better phone, if I just had a little bit better clothing, if I just... That's what's called coveting. I just want that. I want to grab that. Wickedness. That's just a general term for really bad behavior or malice. I'd like to get them. Oh, if I just wait, just wait till she says that, I'm going to say this. I'm going to get her. I'm ready. I'd like to see them really, something bad happen to them. That's what wickedness is. Deceit. Deceit. It's on that same list with sexual sin and murder, by the way. Are you totally truthful? Or do you shade things just a little bit to make them sound better for you? Do you maybe not tell the whole truth or tell the truth that makes you look better? Are you deceitful? Not totally honest. Maybe you're not a liar, but you're not totally honest either. Or do you just tell the truth? Deceit. Sensuality. Back to the issue of sexual sin. This is a person whose mind is just corrupt. A person who's who's always has just just this filthy mind and everything is sexual, everything has a sexual connotation. There's just this constant sense of everything being involved in that. Envy. Envy. This is, I'm mad at you for having that. I deserve to have what you have. I deserve to live where you live. You drive down the beach and you look at those houses and you go, I should live there. Why should they live there? The $50 million house, they're never there. They're only there two weeks out of the year. I'm envious, and I can't believe they get to own that. Maybe I'll just go stay there and see if anybody notices. (laughs) Come on, you've thought it. You've thought it, right? (laughs) 
you've all thought it. I just got to go stay there, and man, nobody's going to know. Drive their cars, you know. Envy. Just notice the breadth of this. From envy to murder, it's on the same list. Slander. You ever just say something just kind of bad about someone? Felt good, didn't it? Well, you don't need to know this, but... And you know how we do it in church circles, right? Let me tell you how to pray for Pastor Steve. <laughs> Let me just tell you, it's just a very simple thing. It's a small thing, but you know, he really struggles with... I mean, those. be careful about those prayer requests sometimes, folks. None of us would ever do it, but we've heard it done, right? Slander. It's wicked. I need to cut you down. It's another word for gossip. It's on the same list as murder, sexual immorality. Pride. And we're not talking about, hey, I'm proud of you for how you're doing. What we're talking about is I'm arrogant and I'm better than you. Right? It's this arrogance feeling. I haven't done any of those things. I think it's at the end of the list so that, so that we can kind of look back. Well, I haven't done any of those things. So if you made it all the way to pride and you're proud of that, then you've already committed another sin, right? <laughs> This was not supposed to be funny, but it kind of is. <laughs> are you proud of your goodness? That's how the Pharisees are. They're saying we're so prideful that we've, we're so proud of the way we wash our hands. We're washing the whole world off of us. We're keeping the world out. Oh, but inside we're a mess. See, pride hides our sin so that we don't repent. Pride is really at the heart of nearly every sin. It was the sin of the garden. Has God not said? God is, God is holding something back from you. You deserve more. Pride. And then foolishness. This word refers really to just having terrible judgment. Do you do stupid stuff? And by this I mean, do you have terrible, really moral judgment? You just do things that are totally outside of what God has said. Here's what he said. All these things come from within and defile a person. You cannot blame anyone for committing any of these sins. You need to own it. You need to own it. But in light of that, there's good news. Living a lifestyle like this, being dominated by these sins, by one or more of these sins, let me just tell you this, the guilt that comes from that, this lifestyle is optional because guilt is a choice. Hear me on this. Guilt is a choice. You get to decide, am I going to be defiled or am I going to let God change me? You don't have to live this way. No matter what your background is, no matter who you live with now, no matter who's influencing you now, no matter how bad the culture is, no matter how hard things are, no matter how many times you've been hurt, no matter how many times you've been abused, you do not have to live this way. You might say, you know, Steve, I, I don't know that I agree that this is sin. I don't know if I want to repent of any of these things. Let me share with you Psalm 32 because 
a guilty life is a miserable life. Look at Psalm 32, verses 1 through 8. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's a blessing to be forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. The one who says, yeah, God, I'm guilty. A lot of other people are guilty too, but I need to focus on me right now, God, and I'm guilty. He says it's a blessed place to be when you realize, I'm a sinner, Lord. And you come before him, God, I'm guilty. Verse 3, for when I kept silent, listen, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You get that picture of what a guilty life is like. The bones don't work. You just kind of groan all the time. Spiritually speaking, your hand, Lord, is heavy on you. It feels like depression, doesn't it? You're just, you're just heavy on me, God, because I will not acknowledge my sin. But look at verse 5. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. He says this to, G to God, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, says God. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Listen, it's an incredible place to live a life of innocence. God's hand then is on you in a powerful and wonderful way, not heavy on you, pressing you down. In conviction, he's a hiding place. He says, I encourage you to pray to him while he may be found. You see, we're in the time, the era, when forgiveness is available, when the blood of Christ counts for us. All we have to do is pray and access it. But that time won't last forever. There will be a time when there will be more, no more time for repentance either because we've passed away or because Jesus has come. He said, you need to look at this with a sense of urgency. Don't stay guilty. See, Jesus himself is the cure for guilt. Simply come before Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I admit my sin. I saw myself on that list we just went through. And maybe you were surprised by some things you didn't really see, you didn't really think that was you, but then you... His hand convicted you while we were talking about that. Jesus says very simply, I came to pay for that. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all iniquity. Speaking of this in Ezekiel chapter 36, I love this. God speaks through his prophet. And he says, I will give you a new heart. Would you like to have a new heart? I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statue and be careful to obey my rules. You see, you can't do it on your own unless he gives you a new heart. Have you received that new heart? Have you received that new heart? 
You see, you're not a slave to what's happened to you. Say it again. You are not a slave to what's happened to you. Whatever's happened to you has come in, but how you process it is the question. Do I trust Jesus to forgive those who've harmed me? Do I trust Jesus that he can change my want-tos to live not how I've seen it lived, but to live the way he wants me to live? Would you like to live a life of innocence? See, the world presses in and says, no, you have to live this way. You have to accept our ways. You have to accept our sexual standards. You have to, step, you have to accept our anger standards. You have to accept our gossips. No, you don't have to do any of that. Jesus Christ died to make you pure to make you clean. When people will say, you know what, Steve, I, I can't do that because I'll know I'll mess up. Yes, you will. We're all on a journey. But praise the Lord, he is sanctifying us and changing us one step at a time. Every time you repent, you need to close that repentant prayer with God and lead me down into temptation. Deliver me from evil. Lord, keep me from doing this again. I want to live a life of innocence. You are not a slave to your sin or to what others have done to you. I want to encourage you today. Jesus Christ wants you to live with his heart, not yours. To live a life of innocence. But not a life that is constantly racked with guilt, but a repentant life that every time you sin, you're faithful. Say, God, I'm sorry, I have sinned. Would you forgive me? And he will. See, guilt is a tremendous barrier. It's a tremendous barrier between us and God. It keeps us from opening his word. I don't want to look at that because I know I'm guilty. It keeps us from being in worship. It keeps us from being around other believers because we're like, I know that I'm guilty. I know. Oh, don't stay guilty. You don't have to stay guilty. You come to Jesus just like I did years ago and said, God, would you forgive me of my anger? I want to be an innocent man. I don't want to keep blaming others for my issues. I, I want you to make me like you. He's been faithful to do that. And then it puts you in a position to make Jesus known and help others be have that barrier of guilt removed. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If this message spoke to you, consider sharing it with a friend or on social media. Just tag us at First Baptist Delray. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to fbcdelray.com. Hope to see you again next time. God bless.